sports best friends nearest and dearest. It's with a excited but heavy heart I can tell you that Michael Carboni has invited Mercho and I to join his podcast project Chasing Kangaroos for 2020 and Mercho and I have accepted. Uh, this means for Sports for Friends stories and the rugby league season that we will be put on pause uh, because we can't do all of them at the same time. I would like to take this opportunity to give you a mega thanks for listening and supporting us on behalf of Mercho, Migs, the Doctor, Pat Picanti, uh, and Boom. We've we've thoroughly enjoyed doing it. I'm sure you've enjoyed. You can hear how much we've enjoyed it while listening to us. But it's not done forever. It is just done while we help with chasing kangaroos. Um, I hope you follow us to that podcast and listen to our craziness over there. Thanks again. Hello and welcome to Sports Best Friends Stories, a podcast that is slapping itself silly with excitement. I'm Big T and sitting patiently on the phone today is a living legend of Australian sport. Born in the foundation suburb of Newtown, he is a revered rugby league coach and a greatly respected journalist. He coached the West Magpies for 90 plus games with a winning record of 60% and then the Dragons for 150 plus games with a winning record of 55%. And during this time, won Dalian Coach of the Year twice. However, since his time in league, he has become one of the world's leading rugby league journalists. He was named a member of the Order of Australia for his work in Australian sport. He was presented a Lifetime Achievement Award by the Australian Sports Media Commission. But most importantly, he lives in Melbourne preaching the word of Daily Messenger to AFLians. Please welcome Roy Masters. Thank you. What a great introduction. Thank you. Well, it's your lifetime, sir. I did nothing. Just recited what you've been doing. Um, now look well, at- you've Googled well. <laughs> Thank you. Now, have you slowly become a Storm fan since living in Melbourne? Um, I have slowly, actually. I, the Storm, uh, I began, began living in Melbourne before the Storm began, but the first coach was uh, Chris Anderson, mm-hmm. and I would have to say that relations between myself and Chris were probably still <laughs> a little bit fractured from my times when I was a coach of St George and he was a yeah. Canterbury player. But John Rebo, uh, John Rebo and Chris Johns were the, um, the the managing director of the club and the chief executive, re- respectively, and I coached both of them, John Rebo wow. at, at uh, West and Chris Johns at St George. So... I had a good relationship with the top two guys there. Then Mark Murray came along, and I started to have a little bit as a coach and had a little bit of a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. But then along came Craig, Craig Bellamy 18 years ago, and uh, we hit it off uh, pretty much straight away. Right. And it's interesting how that relation, who spurred, who who encouraged that relationship. The chief executive of the Storm at the time was. Frank Stanton, okay. who was my great great enemy at um, Manly when he was coach of the Silvertails. Right. And he suggested to Craig, because Frank was going off to live on the Gold Coast, that that he and I, Craig and I, should have a good relationship. And so uh, we did. And it's evolved. And um, uh, yeah, I, I have to say that every weekend uh, I go to a home match in Melbourne, watch the storm. And yep. Uh, never miss, and I also have a very close relationship uh, with the Dragon still. Yeah, and uh, the West guys from the uh, West Magpie side of things. Right. Okay. So then, so you you got a, 
Do, do you, when you say they started a relationship, do you mean they just got you in contact and said go and have a coffee with him, or do, or do you mean you get down? Oh and no, do some no, coaching? It's a, it, no, it's no, it's no contract at all. It's just a a, um, a, a relation, you know, sort of a a senior father figure voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like it's amazing in rugby league how. Well, it's so cyclical that the problems that I encountered way back in the late seventies <laughs> yeah. can be the same problems that uh, Craig may encounter now. So uh, we, we just chat over coffee, and, and maybe yeah. they go in a cab in Geelong in middle of um, of January, and I go in and have a night in there with them. I go away to a couple of away games with them a year, such as up to Manly uh, this year in in um, two thousand and nineteen. Wow. Um, it, it's it's. It's it's just an interesting relationship. Sometimes a, a head coach, he's got assistants, he's got mm-hmm. senior players, he's got a board, he's got chief executive. Yeah. Uh, sometimes he just wants to have a chat with somebody else who's been through it all. Yeah. And that's about all it is. Yeah. Wow. Do that? Is there that kind of relationship in many other clubs? Uh, Wayne Bennett always had Ron Massey as a close confidant right. uh, for a long period of time. Um. I don't think that there are too many more relationships like that. Mm. Um, uh, perhaps there are, but uh, uh, um, yeah. Oh, Tim, she- no, Tim Sheens is overseas now, mm. so I'd be su- surprised if he was helping anybody out. Mm. Wow! So that you've just identified two of the best coaches of the last twenty years, and they've got you know that, that maybe one of their secrets is that they're sensible enough to be still speaking to people who have done it before. Mm. Yeah. Well, okay. that's right. Well, speaking of Craig Bellamy, do you think the Storm success is down more to, towards him, or do you think more for Cam Smith? Who, who's who's the reason why the or who who has a bigger hand in why Melbourne's been so successful? Oh, look, I, I don't think that you can separate them. It's a, right. it's, a, it's a relationship that works extremely well. Um, they Craig uh, Craig is perhaps the best technical coach I've ever seen, insofar as he can. Because he was a, an average player, he had to work very hard on his game. And right. so consequently, uh, he uh, is able to impart the very small, um, fine technical details that make players better. Mm. And he analyses their weaknesses and, and builds on their strengths. And so anybody that comes to the Storm is going to be a better player. I leave a better player. That's demonstrated by the number of times in which Storm players go to other clubs and actually regress. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas uh, the the Cameron Smith is a sort of a very instinctive on-field leader. He, he sees things before they actually happen. Mm. Uh, that's why he never gets hurt. He sees danger before it arrives. Right. He sees opportunities as they're just beginning to open up. So he kicks when he should kick, he passes when he should pass, and he runs when he should run. Yeah. Whereas a lot of decision makers uh, pass when they uh, when they should kick, etc. Um, he um, so you've got this relationship between a guy that is really improving people off the field and a, and a superb tactician on the field. Yeah, right. That's a great that's a great balance. Now you've put it that way, but he's often not. Camp's often not particularly liked um, generally in the media or by the public. Do, uh, have you also sensed that? It takes you a long time to get to know him. Right. I, I reckon I reckon for about three or four years he called me mate. Um, so he, he, um, uh, he, he, can be, he can be perceived to be aloof. Mm. Um, but um, once you have his confidence, once he, uh, you know, he, he recognises you as part of the inner sanctum, 
uh, he embraces you enthusiastically and seeks advice, asks questions and seeks advice. Right. Uh, I just think that that aloofness is, to, to a large extent, a bit of a shield. I mean, mm-hmm. you'll never you'll never get the perfect package in in any sports person. A person who's fundamentally great as he is and enduring, and at the same time have such a bubbly, engaging personality that everybody loves. Right. I just haven't seen it. Every everybody has their own frailty somewhere mm-hmm. along the line, and. Uh, I, I've never seen the total package. Okay, well, that's what's happening now. Let's focus on your childhood. Your dad was a teacher. Your mum was a journalist. You were a teacher and a journalist. So where did the rugby league part get into your family? We, we were brought up on the north coast of New South Wales where a rugby league is the game. Right. Um, and um, my father actually came from a fairly – established uh, soccer family. His uh, uncle was the Australian soccer captain for quite some time. Oh, wow. Uh, in fact, Judy Masters is in the um, Soccer Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. One of the, one of the first inductees into it. And um, so my father was always sort of encouraging me to play soccer, but um, I I just uh, I just loved league right from the beginning. And um, um, so all through those weight teams that you go through when, you know, the excitement of going off to the casino knockout carnival within the four stone sevens <laughs> and tra- traveling in dog box railway carriages up <laughs> and getting up at four o'clock in the morning and getting home at eight o'clock at night. And the journey in those days was only, was only about 40 mile, but it seemed to take all day and marching right. through the streets of casino with your team. And, uh, um, so, uh, that was, um, no, it, it was. It was. It, I still believe that kids play the game that their mates play, and right. all my mates were lo- rugby league guys, and uh, and so uh, consequently, um, I had I, I, I had little alternative but to play it, but but enthusiastically embraced it. <laughs> Do you remember your first memory of the game? Uh, it, it's probably that one that I just described to you, of, uh, you know, in the um, the under four stone sevens or something, just catching that dog box at 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning to go to the casino knockout and being up there by 8 o'clock in order to march through the streets of the casino with the policeman. I do, my, one of the, my, the earliest memory I've got is we were um, the, the Grafton Primary School team, of which I played in, uh, was um, green... I'm pretty sure the colours were. They, they must have been. I must have been in a green and gold uniform mm. because um, uh, the, a big sergeant of police standing on the corner as we went past said, "Oh, here comes the Australian team." <laughs> I, felt so, I felt so proud. But on the other hand, I'm beginning to wonder now whether that was said when I was at Urbanville Primary School because we also went from. I was in sixth class at Urbanville Primary School. Right. And we managed to get a team together with including the kids from the uh, – there was a kid who was only um, in the team, like I was 12 or something, mm. and there was a kid in the team who was about 10. We had to get – had to go, we had to go right down to about fourth class wow. to get to make up 13. Yeah. But interestingly enough, the kid who was um, the, the age 10 to make 13 was a fellow by the name of Payne. His father was a great footballer in this small little timber town of Urbanville called. His father's name was Tiger Payne. Great name. And and uh, and um, his son, um, John Payne, the bloke who was two or three years younger than me, 
uh, he later went on to represent Australia. Wow. Um, out of uh, out of Brisbane, so that tiny little town of Urbanville produced two people who'd reached the top in rugby yeah. league, myself and and him. And actually, poor old Tiger, poor old Johnny Payne, never actually played for Australia. He got selected for Australia. No. Uh, well, in fact, his name's not in the record books. This is why I'll give him as much mention as I can. Yeah. What What happened was there was a test match uh, in Brisbane, and uh, a player pulled out. And um, he got taken in at the last moment into the into the side. The captain coach of Australia was Graham Langlands. Oh wow! Langlands hated Payne because Payne had actually <laughs> whacked him a few times. He was a, he was a he, he, he was a bit of, he was a toughie. And um, and so Chang was captain coach, and Chang didn't actually get him on the field. And no. they, they, they played the in those days there were only two reserves, and they played the entire match only using fourteen men. So poor old Johnny Payne actually was selected for Australia. No. But not named in any program and didn't actually get on the field. No. But I keep mentioning him as often as I can, not only because we both came from Herbertville, <laughs> but because um, just a little bit of yeah. – Chang could Chang could have a little bit of spot in him when he wanted to. A little bit. He's, oh, that's unreal. That's insane. And the other thing about that, it was so me if I'm wrong, but if you got injured in that time, you came off and that's it. So it's incredible that no one got injured um, Yeah, yeah. for poor old pain to get on. Oh, well, God. that's it. And he actually he died a couple of years ago. He died of uh, dementia. Oh, and um, a per- the person who cared for him most during that period of time, in that final years of his suffering, um, was one of the Vivas boys. And um, Payne and Vivas um, had these horrendous clashes wow. uh, in the Bris- in the Brisbane competition. But they were together. Massive. Then. Yeah, but, but, they- uh, but they, in their in their final. In his final days, uh, it was um, his his old feared opponent who cared for him most. Isn't who, that fantastic? Um, yeah, now that's look- that's the sort of epitomises that I like rugby league people always have. Mm. Now, speaking of um, uh, junior you and then you becoming a coach, if you had the opportunity to coach a young Roy Masters, the the bloke walk marching through casino, what feedback would you have given him? Uh, I'd tell him to be far more fitter. I mean, that's what I'd, <laughs> and I'd be telling. That's what I'd be telling all all of my players today. If I went back to Coach West or uh, St George, you know, we weren't fit enough. Right, definitely not fit enough. Not not when I see the training that the guys do at the Storm. Yeah, but paradoxically, they seem to come off the field sometimes after about fifteen minutes, all puffing. But um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I just I just know that based on the body dimensions and the workloads and the speed, um, the number of tackles they make, that um, right. we wouldn't have mixed it with these guys because they, our players weren't fit enough. Would Would Junior Roy Masters have listened to you if you tell him to get fitter? Was he a bit rebellious? Oh, no, certainly. Oh, yeah, most certainly. I was a sponge. I oh, soaked really? everything up, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Okay, well, speaking of your coaching career, I would describe myself as a student of the game, but I only knew about you really coaching Wests. That's mainly the story that the, the people tell about you. Tell me why you stayed at Cogra for so long. Um, why I stayed at Cogra so long? Um, well, I I suppose I stayed at Cogra just searching for that premiership. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, we got so close in 85, mm. got beaten, as you know, by a point. Mm. After you um, beat them the week before, that's the thing that breaks my heart the most. You thrashed them the week before. 
Well, two weeks before. Okay. We had, well, there was a problem at that time because the minor premier, which we were the minor premiers with about four rounds left, um, the reward for winning the minor premiership was having a week off. Right. And then you'd play one game, which we did against Canterbury and beat them easily, mm. and then you have another week off where they played uh, the other semi-finalists. And in our last round, we played Canberra, who we beat by about 50 points. So we played one hard game in about five weeks, and that was the grand final. Um, So it probably does come back to that point I made earlier. You know, you probably – you just need to have that extra bit of fitness to have that extra bit of edge. And they, Canterbury, got it through through playing, and we – we probably lost a little bit of hardness by standing around waiting mm. for the game. What's the biggest difference you remember between those two clubs, between West and the Dragons, when you were there? Oh, it was a, it was a fundamental difference. West, um, you um, you slept a lot, you slept a lot better. But at St George, uh, you ate a lot better. Um, <laughs> one was one was a poor club. One was a rich club. Right. Um, one was a club where any win that you had was savoured and relished and the crowd mm. just loved it. Mm. Um, any loss you had at St George was, uh, hey, what's going on here? So uh, it was just total reversal situations. Players were different too. The Most of the players at uh, West came from uh, country areas, you know, the people that had been brought up in the bush. Mm-hmm. Dallas Donnelly, Tom Rodonicus, Les Boyd, John Dorothy. Go through them all and they were all pretty much came from rural areas, and they had uh, nicknames that were associated with rural. You know, Les Boyd was gum leaves, and <laughs> and uh, the Bruce Gibbs from Oberon was the sloth. And, <laughs> and, and then we had a spider, we had a snake, we had a sloth, as I said. We yeah. had a, we even had an anteater, a bloke <laughs> with a big long nose. So, so, uh, but they they were, you know, they, they speak to one. West bloke, and he was speaking to the lot. They they had a, there's a sameness about their attitude. Right. Uh, St George um, were um, many of the players there had a you know significantly educated background in the sense that they'd done teachers' college or at least finished high school, mm-hmm. and had uh, some had been to university. So about four or five school teachers in the team, for example, um, and uh, representatives of breweries or. Uh, or, or you know, flower companies. So, it, 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 Craig Young was a, a detective. Right. So there was a significantly more um, professionalism about their uh, their full time employment. And why were you so successful at the at St George? Do you think? Well, we built up a, a strong club ethos there, um, and there's a lot of there was unity within the club, but there was competition between the players. Right. Um, so in the in the uh, six years that I was St George, I, I think that collectively the club probably won uh, about six sort of different types, seven different types of premierships over the three grades, right. you know, minor and major, uh, together with the club championship about oh, at least twice, probably three times. So it was great unity, uh, but at the same time, you didn't have your spot for long if you uh, if you went up to it. Somebody'd come in and take your place. So there was there was movement between the grades all the time, as 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 uh, players were chosen on merit.
That's a great balance to have. A, everyone's connected, but everyone's still fighting. That that must have been hard to create. But did you were you able to get it at the Magpies as well, or, or how was that? How was that? Oh, uh, we didn't. We also had great unity with the coaches mm-hmm. at um, at St George. There was uh, no doubt that John Bailey and people like that were my strongest loyal, loyal lieutenants. But I didn't have a closer um, relationship there with some of the lower grade coaches who who had. Um, uh, you know, they may well have had designs on the first grade spot. Right. There was there were some good ones there, such as Ken Gentle, who later became a. In fact, his son Peter Gentle went and played for me at St George and wow. played in the played in the very very last game that I coached at wow. SCG, which was against Canterbury. Can you believe? No. Which we won in the last minute of the game. Yeah. Oh no no. Well, they nearly they nearly won in the last minute, <laughs> but we managed to stop it. And what about, uh, I know often people talk about Tommy Rodonikas from that team, um, but are there other people from that time that, that are a bit underrated or aren't spoken about it? Oh, as most much certainly. As... The most underrated one by far over my 10 years in first grade was Graham O'Grady, who played really? for me at uh, Western Suburbs and then joined me at St George. And why? What's What was uh, so great about him? Well, uh, he had great tactical sense. Uh, he was he, a uh, coach. That doesn't really know what's going on out there. He knows what he thinks he knows what's going on <laughs> out there in the field, but, he, but but he doesn't hear what the players are saying. Right. And Graham O'Grady was the sort of person who would tell players where to get into position and and um, uh, positions of, to, to anticipate uh, try scoring up position um, opportunities by the the, the opposition. Um, you know, he would warn of warn of where they were going and what they were trying to do when they had the ball. At the same time, he had a smarts about him too for us to exploit weaknesses in the opposition. He was mm-hmm. he was a great talker out there on the field, and um, I, I think that uh, Cooper Cronk played a very similar role right. at um, at um, with, with the Storm. In fact, you know, you look at the Storms or Queensland's losses uh, in big games, and that's when Cooper Cronk wasn't there. Yeah, he yeah. wasn't he wasn't with Queensland when they lost an Origin series. Mm. And uh, he was with the opposition when the Storm of, uh, lost the uh, eight, nine, uh, 2018 grand final mm. and got beaten by the Roosters in the 2019 preliminary. Mm. Did, it, did Grady go on to, to coaching or anything like that? Yes, he did with great success. He oh, coached right. He coached at Cudgeon in, um, up in the northern rivers of New South Wales, up, in the, up close to the Queensland border. Uh, he was... Um, Great man in rugby league. He became president of the Cushion Junior Rugby League. He, you could see him out every uh, Saturday morning driving the sit-down mower, mowing all the fields ready for the kids to play. <laughs> yeah, wow. As well as being captain coach of the of the team on the on the Sunday, um, leading them to victory. So he, he won he won a few premierships up there. Rugby league people are great people. You said it before, and I'm feeling that about Grady now. Now let's look at people. Um... The, the, uh, lots of people. By the say, way, with if you ever seen that film, The Five Bros and the Silver Tails, of course, which is which is a great documentary done of the nineteen seventy eight season. Uh, he is the last player featured in that hour long oh, documentary. Really, right at the end, he's he's crying, and he's crying about the lost opportunity of nineteen seventy eight with Greg Hartley and his rulings. Mm. Referee. <laughs> Greg Hartley. Well, I won't see you too close to him. Look, let's. Uh, people have suggested that uh, the game's changed a lot in 30 years. Who from your time do you think, barring um, fitness, would be quite successful in 2020? Um, 
Well, I think they all would, actually. They, right. They'd all be good. Um, they, they'd all be good. Uh, a big soft Gibbs and Dallas Donnelly uh, would never fit, but they had great great ball skills, perhaps better than the front rows of today, and they would right. have been carted off after 20 minutes to have a breather. So that it would have suited the big boys. Um, and I would say, you know, I had players like Michael O'Connor, who's to be a champion mm-hmm. at any any time. Um no, I wouldn't like to. I wouldn't like. Uh, Slippery Morris was a really speedy winger. Mm. Maybe Slippery Slippery might have a bit of trouble under the high balls out on the wings now because of the you know his, his two sons are wingers, but they're a lot taller than him. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't damn any of them. Um, to say that they uh, couldn't play in the modern era. It's a fantastic game like that. Now, what do you think of the best changes though that we've seen in the game? Well, the best teams to me have a sort of almost an invincibility about them that they they hum, they are just you know magical to watch. You know, you, you think of Bennett's nineteen ninety two three premiership teams. Um, you think of um, the Storm uh, in two thousand and seventeen when they were almost invincible. Mm. That was last season of Cooper Cronk. Uh, there were times at uh, at Western 1978 when we were just carving up everybody before us, but probably you know didn't sustain it. Um, and then, of course, like also like the the Manly team of 1996, Bob Fulton's right. rope like rope like defence mm. was just beautiful to behold the way in which they worked together. Uh, this they had there's those big three life back rowers, Kossif, um, Menzies, and uh, I forgot the name of the other one. And um, they were just they, they, their defence was like a long sort of steel cable that that, that bent according to whether it had to move up or retreat mm. slightly back. It was it was it was a rope. I mean. I'm, and, I'm... I don't know why I'm surprised. But unbreakable rope. I don't know Sorry? why I'm surprised, but you, you, the words you're using to visualise that are phenomenal. It's just I can see it so clearly now the way you're describing it. But I guess you're a journalist, so that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, now, speaking of '96, Super League was a terrible ordeal at the time. But do you think that the the pain we went through then was worth it? Um, well, the, the Super League did create a, a lot of innovations. You know, out, out of that, we got some wonderful things, such as obviously night grand finals, and um, we had the, um, the the video referee. Um, um, there were some, and the change to the judiciary took place. It was probably necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I rattled. I saw the, I saw them all written down one day. There were about nine of them. Um, You'd have to say that all their innovations were, were pretty smart, uh, but no, the, the the pain that we went through was not worth it. Mm. Um, not 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 to the loss of North Sydney, for example, which I mm. I, I think was a dreadful loss. Only one team on the northern beaches or the northern north, not one team north of the harbour until you get to Newcastle. I think that's tragic. Mm. Uh, I think that um, the pain that we went through, the broken friendships. Which took a long. Some of them, which never repaired, others which took a long, long time to repair, and the fact that News Limited took control of the game for, from basically from uh, 1998 uh, through until 
you know, about 2005 or six or seven, whatever it was, mm. um, the, you know, a, a media company should never own a game, and that's what happens. So just I think that for the, 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 the smart innovations that it brought in, the, the brutal costs of passion, people's and teams that would fold it was just too great. Mm. Do you begrudge anyone who left the game at, the, at that time? Like fans, I mean? Oh, no, no, I have enormous sympathy with the North mm. Sydney people that um, no longer had a team to follow. Oh, no, I don't begrudge anyone for leaving. Mm. I, I think that um, we should be blaming those that forced them out. Mm. Okay. I mean, they, you know, people talk about there are too many teams in Sydney, but there are too many AFL clubs in Melbourne too. But, yeah. but, but the AFL, after the debacle of um, trying to marry and merge clubs, have soon realised that people's passions should be uh, ordained. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and just let the natural forces of history close clubs. Mm. You know, if North Melbourne closes as a result of insufficient crowds, well, history's determined that not the stroke of the economic rationalist pen. <laughs> Again, so beautifully put. I love it. Let's look now at the modern Super League in England. Have you been following what's happening there with the North American teams joining Super League, like the Toronto Wolfpack? I like it because it's injecting private capital into the game mm-hmm. and we haven't seen enough private capital come in. Um, if the game is just going to survive on television rights and, the, and sponsorship and advertising and memberships and things, then um, uh, there's going to be a sameness about it. It's going to be like a, a, a grey factory. You get these colourful personalities with plenty of money, such as Russell Crowe coming in and the, and the, and the mining magnet over there that started the Toronto Wolfpack. Uh, good luck. Not only does it bring additional revenue of capital to the game, but it also creates new interesting people to write about and um, and to follow. Now, Steve Mascord recently said, and I'm paraphrasing, that if Rugby League in Australia really wants to to bloom and to blossom financially, it needs to think more about selling itself to rich people like Rugby Union does rather than trying to sell itself commercially often to, to lower socioeconomic people like the beer ads and the gambling ads and things like that. What's your view on that? Well, he, he is probably right. I mean, we, we've always, we've probably had a little bit of a cultural, cultural social cringe about us in the, in the sense that, you know, okay, we, we're the working class game and that's where our aspiration should be. Um, I remember Roy and HG, who, um, when I wrote a book called uh, Inside League soon after I retired, um, that book uh, in it, I featured Roy and HG, although they were hardly known at the time. Right. They, descri- they described a time, they were, they were rugby league lovers, but... And they said that there'd be a time when they would go around to a, a person's place on a, a Sunday afternoon about four or five o'clock and they'd hear a scurry of activity inside while they're knocking on the door and people they were turning off the TV because these people that they were visiting didn't want them to know that they'd been watching rugby league. Wow. So, you know, there's there's all... Tom Keneally very proudly um, has, has told me on a number of occasions that scorn with which people have... Look down on him when he admits that he he's a devotee of the game. So, mm. well, to some extent, that 
has we've brought that on ourselves. And but don't forget that there's a game that's been sitting above us for 120, 130 years called rugby union, which mm. is played in the private school. So that's right. There's always that. There's always that game that sits uh, sits above us culturally, historically, and. Um, while they're having a bad time at the moment, rugby union, uh, let's not forget that they're far more dominant internationally than we are. Mm. And do you think uh, do you think the game being bigger in other countries is important for the game of rugby league in Australia? Oh, most certainly. Really? I do. I do. I do think. I think. Look, uh, the whole world is moving to. It's a. It's a global village. Um, we've got to spread. Um, we've got to make the game attractive to overseas people. Mm. I mean, you, you look at the game of cricket, for example. One of the statistics that's always fascinated me is that um, the uh, when you look at the sale of Indian cricket rights around the world, that is to say games played in India, yeah. uh, no, number one overseas buyer is England. Number two overseas buyer of the television content of those games is Australia. The third one is uh, is New York because of all the Indian expatriates living in wow. New York. Wow! So the point is that you know you've you've got to make your game as international as you possibly can, and mm. we're making great progress in the Pacific Islands with Samoa, and Fiji, and and Tonga, and you know that recent Test series where Papua New Guinea beat England and Tonga beat New Zealand. Mm. Uh, that were great results. Okay, well, speaking of improving the NRL, if you got to make two big changes, what would you change? Okay, well, I would make the Australian Rugby League Commission put more people on it with football savvy. Right. They bent too far towards the independence and not enough towards the know-how. I would mm. like far more know-how in our decision-makers. Uh, and secondly, on the field, um, I would like players just to be a little bit more... Uh, I, I would like coaches to be... I would like to see more mad scientists as coaches. <laughs> right. I'd like to see more revolutions, more more variety, yeah. instead of more playing the same type of game. Right. I I, I'd that. like him to be doing some of the crazy, crazy, crazy things that Fulton and I uh, did way back in those days when we were experimenting. And and have you told Craig Bellamy that when you see that? Oh yeah, coming? we have. We 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 have a we have a. Yeah, it's a it's an ongoing battle. <laughs> but um, Craig's a conservative, yeah. and I'm a radical, yeah. and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I just he, he he just looks at me, listens to me, and then says, "Okay, Roy, you, you finish, make sure you finish finish your cup of coffee. <laughs> sit there, go over, sit that rocking chair in the corner, go and sit." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what else I love, uh, Roy, is that you could ask I could ask a hundred people that question. What are your two things you want to change about the NRL? And it would take some people. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Geez, um, oh, one thing I might do is, but I asked you, and you went right. Thank you. Only two. Okay, well, here's my top two. <laughs> ready to go in the hip pocket, ready to shoot. Excellent. Sitting around thinking about them. Okay, let's let's keep making wishes. If you could go to a game with anyone in the world, who would you like to go to a game with? Uh, to go to a game anywhere in the world. You get to go. Uh, is it, which, which type of a game is it? It's, you're going to go to a rugby league game, but you get to take a person from anywhere in the world. Uh, I would probably take a Graham O'Grady, I would say. Mm. 
and because I didn't, I didn't ever actually get to sit and watch a game. Wow! With him because he, he was out there on the field. Of course. And so I would be sitting with him and saying, "Well, this is what I reckon's happening," and he might say, "Well, no, they're setting up for this," and then you know that that that's. I, I'd like to do that. I haven't. I wouldn't have done that for ages. I, I, I did it. I've sat in the box with Craig Bellamy, but you know, it's um, Craig's such a passionate sort of explosive person. <laughs> yeah. You don't get. You know, it, it's it, there's a there's a lot of uh, there's a um, there's a lot of explosive talk, a lot of barking, <laughs> barking to the fellow. So it's not as though you can sit down. Although it would be interesting to go and sit with him at a game where he hasn't got any emotional investment mm. in the outcome. Mm. I'd probably like to do that, but, you know, we both have to go to Sydney together to do something like that. Right. Or he might retire soon. You can do it. Oh, but he's probably going to be emotionally invested. I'd go with Warren Ryan to get him to talk me through his grand final decisions with the West Tigers in the 80s. Would he be a good choice? Well, you can sit with him, but I wouldn't want to. <laughs> Oh, I set that up, I guess. And, and, I mean, what, what is it about Walk that you don't like? Well, um, uh, he believes that he put the air into the football. Yeah, right. But um, the, the, the game, uh, the, basically, that he's the font of all knowledge. Yeah. Uh, look, look the, the important thing, the important thing with rugby league, uh, to survive in rugby league, you've got to take the fundamental view, you're a part of a team, and you... There are some times when other people get the credit and you know it's yours, but you just don't care. There are some times when you get the blame for things and you certainly know it's not your fault. Uh, for example, for, for 40 years, people have blamed me for the face slapping. Well, <laughs> it, was a, it was a trainer that started that, but of course I took the rap because I was part of a team. Yeah. But he's, he's different. Um, he, he, he wants to be the single right. source okay. and acknowledged um, of whatever he's achieved. And I, I just think that, uh, look, let it go through. If, let people make their own minds up. Um, okay, well, you took me out of it. I, I'm going to go with you and Craig Bellamy now. This The YouTube I sound much better company. What if you could go back to any game ever and watch that? What game do you really wish you'd seen? A game that I haven't seen. Yeah, you but, really wish you had. Uh, yeah. It's a game that actually I'm trying to find a little bit more about. Um, it was a game that was played between uh, East and St. George at Cogra Oval. And I don't even quite know the year. It was certainly before I came to Sydney. I think it was in the early 70s, somewhere or thereabouts. And it may not, it certainly wouldn't have been on television because there were only. Well, two games I think televised in those days, one on the ABC and one on um, the, the, the host telecaster, which varied between, in those days, between um, seven and ten. Right. Um, and uh, people just said it was a, a fabulous, fabulous game. And uh, it had it had some really good players in it at the time, obviously, with the, the Beatsons and Langlands and, mm. and people like that. And it was fairly high scoring. It was probably you know, like it was know, 30 to 28 or something like that. But it, it, it was played at Cogra, and uh, that's a great intimate ground to watch. Mm. 
and uh, I would, wouldn't have had uh, any involvement with any of the, the players in the, at that time. Yep. So, yeah, that game I would have loved to have seen. It, it, in fact, I, I once went uh, to the NFL um, wow. to see to see the thir- the 35th, I think it was, the 35th anniversary of what they say was the greatest game ever played, which was a game between the New York Giants and the Baltimore Colts. It was generally perceived that that game, which I think it was played in the early 60s, was the... Um, was the greatest game ever played, and so I went to the anniversary of it when those two teams met, and it was just interesting looking at the uh, the, the old players that came out onto the field, mm. um, and the new ones that had played that day, and it was interesting looking at the, the racial composition. The racial composition of the of the team in that greatest game that ever played was uh, two thirds white, one third black, and yet the river, it was thirty five years later it was reversed. Mm. And I remember travelling back in the bus back into New York with the quarterback from the Baltimore Colts. I think he was the Baltimore Colts. But anyway, his name was Y.A. Tittle. <laughs> That's a uh, I, I don't name. know what the Y stood for and I don't know what the A stood for, but he, everybody called him Y.A. And uh, <laughs> his name was – and we was actually in the bus standing up holding onto the, onto the arm, you know, the, the loops to, you know, steady yourself in the bus. I don't want to slow you down, but that, that says Yatittle, doesn't it? Doesn't that be saying, doesn't that sound for, if it's YA, it sounds like Yatittle. Sounds like it's almost an insult, an insult, Yatittle. Anyway, you're on the bus. Yeah, he, he was, uh, he went on the bus together and we were, we were chatting and a number of things struck me about how tall he was. And of course, American quarterbacks have to be tall to see over the huddle, mm-hmm. see where their wide, wide receivers are. Um, but why a Tittle later went over and played for the Los Angeles um, Ray, Ray, Los Angeles Rams, and he was famous for a comment. Well, I don't know whether he's famous for the comment, but it's a comment that he made endured certainly stuck with me, and uh, I reckon it sums up a lot. He said, "They loved me in the beginning, they hated me in the middle, and they loved me at the end." And I reckon that's pretty much true mm. of, of how it goes. Your first days at a club, everybody loves you. You're getting a bit of success. Uh, you're bright. You're new. You're enthusiastic. Then comes a period in the middle where things get a little bit stale. But then when they when they know that you're going, they they come back and they love you yet yeah, again. Yeah, right. Is that your experience? That's certainly my experience at yeah. uh, St George, without any doubt. At yeah. West, probably. It was uh, yeah, there would have been a little bit of a middle there as well. Yeah. yeah okay. Okay, Roy. Well, so reflecting on your on your playing time, your your long coaching career, your time in journalism, your awards, your books. That what's your greatest rugby league memory? Um. Well, it's not a not a rugby league. Well, it's a rugby league memory, but it's um in two thousand and twelve. Uh, I walked the Kakata track with two great friends, Tom Radonikus and John Quayle. Wow. And um, six, seven days of just that relentless slog through mud and slush and rain beating down. And just with those two guys, that meant a lot to me. I thought that was a wonderful time. It was, I ended up with a badly bad feet out of it all, but um, it was just, that was a, that's a, a rugby league memory that didn't actually happen on the field, mm-hmm. but um, two great friends off the field. 
At the risk of sounding rude, how old will you have been five years ago? Yeah, that was in uh, 2012, uh, seven years ago. Yes, um, sorry. Uh, um, I was uh, seven, just coming up to 71. That's phenomenal. I mean, doing it, people that struggle through it in their 20s and 30s, that's phenomenal. No wonder it's such a, a clear and, and incredible memory. It must have been such a struggle and a personal, mental and physical thing to get through. It was extremely hard, yeah. We thought it was very tough. Wow. Okay, well, finally, mate, why do you love rugby league? What does it have that has kept you tied to it for so long? Well, uh, I love rugby league people. I think that they um very direct, very strong. Um, they um, The best of them are not duplicitous. Um, they're they humble. Um, they lack arrogance. They lack side. Um, they speak plainly. Um, this is the best of them. There are mm-hmm. some bad ones. Um, and in terms of the game on the field, well, there's basically nowhere to hide. And it brings out... <laughs> It brings out the best and the worst in people, and it's mm. very quickly exposed. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks, Roy. This has been great. That's all my questions and comments. Did you have anything else before we finish? No, no. I'm I'm happy with the conversation. I really enjoyed it. Oh, great, mate. And listen, um, can I just also say your mind is as sharp as a tack. The stuff that you're remembering, I mean, age regardless, I can't keep up with half the stuff that you're remembering, just people's names, people's, like, the, the where you were. The, even the you know the, the American football thing. I asked some random question about some random person that you know. Even if you'd read the questions before, the fact that you could rattle off you know what he did. What, I think it was the one about Grady. You were able to tell me that he went coaching and he won these things in this particular town. That's incredible. Like to, if you had your brain tested, you must have some kind of you know insane power in there. Well, my wife will tell you I've got a good memory and. Um and, uh, Too good a memory? Is that she complaining really when she says that? Or? No, 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 no. She's proud. She's proud of my memory. Oh, great! Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, thanks, mate. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate your time. Good on you, mate. Thanks very much. Big thanks to Paul Merchinson, our wonderful producer. Also, quick thanks to Andrew from the Rugby League Project for his fantastic website. Enjoy your sport for another week, and we'll talk to you next time, sports best friends. me to play soccer, but um, I I just uh, I just loved league right from the beginning, and um, um, so all through those weight teams that you go through, when you know the excitement of going off to the casino knockout carnival within the Four Stone Sevens, tra- travelling in dog box railway carriages, up <laughs> and getting up at four o'clock in the morning and getting home at eight o'clock at night, and the journey in those days was only. It was only about 40 miles, but it seemed to take all day and marching through the streets of Casino with your team.